in the ancient world, the Greeks viewed astronomy and music as two sides of the same coin. They thought that astronomy was the organization of external things. You could point, let's go back one, sorry. You could point a telescope to the sky and you could observe, you could organize and make sense of where you were in relation to all these external points. That's basically astronomy. Music's the other side of that. Music is the organization of internal things. Music has an incredible way to help us observe and organize and make sense of these internal things that we feel but we can't see. Uh, this is why you've never been to a wedding without music. I've been to many weddings, I've officiated many weddings, I've never been to a wedding where there wasn't music. And often when the notes hit, where the bride comes down the aisle, like 30% of the, of the crowd immediately starts sniffling because music is the organization of internal things. I've been to many funerals, never been to a funeral where there wasn't music. Even graveside funerals will often have a trumpet or some sort of instrument or at least a vocalist. I've never been to a funeral on a dark day where the music wasn't involved. Birthdays, we do this like crazy thing for birthdays. We uh, invite a bunch of people over, we put candles on, we br briefly light them, and then the person whose birthday it is um, blows all their germs all over the cake, and then we, we cut it up and pass out sugar and carbs to everybody. And right before that crazy tradition, which is odd when you think about it, um, we sing a little jingle that even kids know. Imagine birthdays without music. Even sports, music plays a big deal in sports. Imagine baseball without taking me out to the ball game. Christmas, the most wonderful time of the year. Imagine Christmas without jingle bells, Silent Night, White Christmas, Carol of the Bells, and Santa Baby. Can you imagine Christmas without Mariah Carey singing Santa Baby? That's actually, I, that, that sounds great. I would love a Christmas without Santa Baby. Someone get her some hot tea. It's a New, Year, it's a New Year's Eve joke. Google it. Star Wars, the greatest movies. I bet your favorite movie has an iconic soundtrack. Star Wars, imagine Star Wars without the Imperial March and the, the genius of John Williams. Indiana Jones without that theme song, also by John Williams. Even cartoons, music plays such a profound role in. Have you seen the movie Up by Pixar? Like a minute in, there's this scene. You know the scene if you've seen it. It's four minutes, 21 seconds long. It goes from their childhood to the end, basically the end of their life. There is no, there's no dialogue. There's no speaking. It's four minutes, 21 seconds of just music and moving colors and pictures. And I've not met an adult who hasn't shed a tear at that cartoon for four minutes. It is incredible. If you've never seen that, just Google YouTube up montage. That's the thing. If you can watch that and not be moved emotionally, you're not human and you need to get yourself checked. <laughs> Why is it that a cartoon can make grown adults cry five minutes in with no words, with no dialogue, just colors, shapes, and music? It's because of the Greeks. Music is the organization of internal things. This is what the Psalms are all about. We're studying, we're beginning a study of, on the Psalms this fall. Many of you grew up in church and you had a hymnal in the back of the pew, or you, from a liturgical tradition, maybe you had the Book of Common Prayer. That's what the Psalms are. The Psalms was Israel's hymn book. The Psalms was Israel's Book of Common Prayer. It was this collection, this treasure chest 
of songs and prayers. It's about 3,000 years old. That's been passed down from generation to generation. And Israel, God's people, would often go to the Psalms um, for anything that was going on in their life. A few years ago, there was a city councilman that reached out to me. He was um, behind a pretty controversial um, ordinance that he was proposing. And a bunch of churches and pastors did, had a lot of questions and didn't like it, and they would pick it. And there was this thing where church groups and uh, would go downtown, and, and they were just trashing him. And so I met him, and he liked me somehow. And so he asked to have lunch one day to, so that I could help him help explain why all these pastors in the city hated him, which is an awesome like thing to do that day. And so we're having lunch at City Hall, and he's a really sweet guy, but not, I don't know if he's a believer. He certainly probably wouldn't identify as Christian, um, doesn't love, love the church. Um, but he would say, he said this to me, he said, Drew, I, I don't like the Bible, uh, and I don't like the Old Testament, but, but I love the red letters. The red letters, right? Right? And he's like, good politician, he's trying to gain my approval. And I was like, yeah. He's like, yeah, I don't read the black letters, but I love the red letters. And then he looked for a response from me, and I couldn't help myself. And I, I kind of lovingly, with like 1% sarcasm, 10% sarcasm, <laughs> said, yeah, the red letters are awesome, but what about when the red letters reference the black letters 100 times? He goes, what? I said, well, yeah, in Matthew's biography alone, Jesus is quoting the black letters that you said you don't like over 100 times just in that one biography. So what do you do when the red letters quote the black letters? And he goes, what? Never mind, let's move on. Let's, <laughs> I didn't get into it. But Jesus often quoted the Old Testament and that we have record of, can you take a wild guess at the number one book he quoted from the most? Wow, wow you're so smart. Man, yeah, Psalms was the book he quoted from the most. Now, I know this is church and generally not the place where people are honest, but if I can be honest with you, um, I don't know the Psalms as well as I want to know. So I've, it's my job to teach the Bible. This is a little bit self-serving. I want to learn the Psalms and, and get to know them a little bit better. So we're going we're gonna to do that. If you um, would like to turn with us, uh, we're going to start at a good place to start, which is Psalms 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 1. It's page 448 if you want to use one of those hardback Bibles around. Um, Jesus loved the psalm so much that on the cross, right before he said, it is finished, right before he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, did you know that he quoted a psalm? He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which is Psalms 22. Everyone knows Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd. The one right before that, Psalms 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's really significant that in Jesus' last breaths on the cross, while the weight of the sin of the world was coming upon him, where does he go for comfort? He goes to the Psalms. I think we would do well to um, learn from him. Psalms 1, six verses. Blessed is the man or woman who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight or his amusement is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. What's the result? Here comes the metaphor. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, 
and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. We, um, as we get into the Psalms, I want to highlight how we've organized it. Um, if you go to the, the title slide, Adriana, we have each week, we're doing 11 of these, and each week we have categorized them for when you'll need them. We often do a series, and it, to be honest, it's kind of like a vitamin, or it's like a meal. Like, who can remember the meal you had three Tuesdays ago for lunch? You really can't remember it, but you know you needed it at the time, and it was helpful to you. And a lot of sermons are like that, you know? I spend a lot of time on them, and they're helpful in the moment, and then you probably don't remember the sermon I preached six weeks ago, right? The Psalms are not like that. These 11 Psalms that we're gonna look at from now till December are investments in your life. I promise you, you will want what we're, look, what we're looking at for the rest of your life. What we teach, what we unpack, what we dive deep, what our gospel communities talk about are investments for you to hold on to, just as the Israel, uh, Israelites and the Hebrew people held on to these, just as Jesus held on to it until he was on the cross, just as Mary had so many psalms in her heart and her magnificent that she sings in that story has all these references to the psalms. What we're going through, I want to encourage you Grab a journal, grab a devotional guide, get a favorite pen, grab some buddies, welcome this stuff and use it. Um, put it in your back pocket. This stuff is going to be helpful. We're going to look at when you need um, strength, when you need help, when you need protection, when the day is dark, when you're building a home or being in a city, when you need a community of blessing. Like All these are going to be organized for when you need them. Today is Psalm 1, when you need amusement. We're highlighting amusement because a lot of people don't think it's amusing. Verse 1 here starts off blessed. The greatest sermon ever told was in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Often people say that sermon Jesus preached in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the greatest sermon ever told. Now, if you go to a concert, usually a band will open up with like their heavy hitter to kind of set the tone. Um, if you see a movie, the opening, if the opening scene is awful in a movie, you kind of, what do you say? Oh, the movie's slow. It doesn't grab your attention. So how you start things is really, really important in art, in music, in an album, in a documentary, in a Netflix special, whatever. The beginning's crucial. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, the beginning opens with the Beatitudes. Blessed are, and he gives, I think they're like 11 or 12 of these, we call them Beatitudes, or they're statements of who's actually blessed. The Psalms opens up with a beatitude. This is a beatitude. Blessed is. Um, what does it mean to be blessed? My grandma used to say, you know, blessed. You know, she used to, what does that mean? Especially if you grow up, you hear that word a lot because you use it a lot for good reason. Um, you have to look no further than Charlie Sheen to understand what blessed means. Have you seen this YouTube video? Um, if you just want to laugh, just YouTube Charlie Sheen winning. And it's this compilation of, it was too long to show you, kind of vulgar, so I don't want to show it to you in church, but if it's on your own time, that's on you. He, he shares this, um, he, it's like eight or nine interviews, and he keeps saying this phrase, winning, have you heard that? Two of you, okay. 
He just says, winning, winning, and like people are criticizing him, and he's, he keeps saying, well, I've got this house, or I have this many girlfriends, or I, you know, someone calls me, and it's this heavy hitter, and I'm like, winning, and to him, everything is about winning. That's what the Beatitudes are. When Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, he's saying, the people who are in poor in spirit are the ones who are winning. The people who are meek. The world says the people who are arrogant, they're winning. Jesus says, no, 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 it's the meek. They're the ones who are winning. The world says the people who just follow their lust and do um, whatever they want to make them feel good, that's who's winning. Jesus says, no, it's the pure in heart who's winning. You know, you get that. So blessed is. Uh, when I read blessed, I just think winning. And Psalms begins with a statement of who's actually winning. Blessed is the person. Now here's three postures. Walking, standing, sitting. Blessed is the person who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits at the seat of scoffers. Walking, each progression gets worse. Walking, you're at least moving. Standing, you kind of stop moving and you're not willing to budge. And then there's sitting, which is an act of defiance. And he uses the word um, scoffer, which is only found elsewhere in the book of Proverbs 14 times. It's a synonym for an idiot or a consummate fool. It's kind of crazy that the Bible calls people idiots. When, the Bible, when Proverbs or Psalms says fool or scoffer, translate that into idiot. It's pretty incredible. Um, I think of like consummate fool, like in the movies, that's Nick Cage. That guy's crazy. You know, or if you're a sports fan, LeVar Ball. You know, like, you, like in every area of life, you get the, like, man, that guy, he's out there. This is what the Bible is saying, believe it or not. Uh, the message, I love how Eugene Peterson translates scoffer in verse one. He says, as someone who goes to smart mouth college. I thought that was great. All right. And then here's verse two. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. The word there for delight uh, means enjoys or muses or finds amusement. Is that your experience with the scriptures? Do you find time with God in prayer and in the scriptures as amusing? Is it delightful? Is it enjoyable? It should be. It can be. The people that I know who are saints, they love being with God in his word. You look at their Bible and it's fallen apart. And you give them a choice to binge on Netflix or to be in the word of God, they will 10 times out of 10 take more delight in being with God as revealed in the scriptures. Now, for many young people, that's not the case. We've been told you should do it, and it becomes like a checklist, and you ought to, and everything like rises up against that, and we say, oh, that's legalism, or that's not the gospel, or whatever. But the reality is, is how can you know God? How can you know the Father, the Son, the Spirit without having a source of reference? The scriptures are God's way of revealing himself to us, to be honest, I was um, a pastor, and I hated it. I remember feeling guilty because I would have to preach and talk about the scriptures, and I did not like to read them or, or to study, mostly because I didn't understand them, and I had lots of questions, and it seemed to contradict itself, and it, I, just, I, I just didn't like it. And I wasn't allowed to say it because I was a reverend, and what would happen if a reverend was honest about his struggles with reading the scriptures? And um, I, um, 
just one day the Lord led me to, I just brought this to the Lord, I was like, okay, God, I understand I'm supposed to like that. I'm supposed to take delight and amusement, but I don't. And I, I was in a, a period of kind of skepticism and doubt. And someone had told me that Luke's gospel was the gospel for the skeptics because Luke was a Greek. He was the only, not, he was the only non-Jewish or Gentile writer of the New Testament. And he wrote his letter, Luke, uh, or his biography, Luke, and Acts as an account or an investigation to see if this thing about Christianity was actually legit. And so I thought, well, that, if, if I could understand Luke and what he's doing, then maybe that would help. And so I spent a year, actually, I think I spent two years studying Luke's gospel. I found some books on it, and I made a plan, and I would study a chapter a month. And I wouldn't read past that chapter. And I wouldn't read until all my questions about the first chapter were answered. And I have two Moleskine journals that are full of all my questions and answers and notes and things that I found. And for me, that was a way of finding the joy of the scriptures, was learning how to read them, finding a translation that works, getting a pen that was my favorite. I have, um, this is kind of a nerd, but I've got in the front of my Bible, I've got a little color code and I have... Um, colored pencils that have different themes. And every time I see the Holy Spirit mentioned, I color it orange so I can look on a page and see maybe a pattern of the Spirit's work. Anytime I see the Father, I color that blue. I'm a visual guy. I'm ADD. I have to be engaged in my Bible. If you look at it, just opening it up to this, you can see all these colors of how I've just traveled with the Lord and have learned all these things. My prayer is that whenever I'm gone, um, I would give this Bible to my boys and that they would have a record of dad's faith and a record of 30, 40 years of walking with Jesus. I love version. I love the Bible app, but you can't give the Bible app to your kid unless you give them their username and they see all your highlights and notes. But for me, finding a Bible that I liked that had a good cover that's wearing out, and um, I've used this Bible for probably eight, nine years now, and it's starting to fall apart. But one day I'm going to give this to my kids as a record of, hey, this was dad's faith. This is what the questions I had. This is what I underlined. This is what I noted in here. To me, that makes it, like that motivates me every day to open this thing and to leave a, um, like a breadcrumb trail for my kids. So it's a great gift that you can't buy. So I've just found different ways. If, that's, if you're in that spot and you're like, Drew, help me. That's my job. I would love to help you find delight. It, it is delightful. It is wonderful to spend time with God. Um, I can't get into it. We could do several uh, sermons on how to do that. We've talked on it at length, but most of the people that have been here for a while, they get this. They've been discipled in it. If this is a question for you, reach out. Let's go to verse 3. Why did I close it? Oh, I got a bookmark, so it's good. Verse 3. Now, here's the key to the Psalms. A lot of people make the mistake and they read the Psalms literally. The Psalms is what we call wisdom literature. It's artwork, it's poetry, it's prose. Um, it's all full of metaphor. And so the third word in verse three is really important for you to understand. He is like, okay? So this is, the, if you don't understand simile, metaphor, analogies, parables, all that stuff, you're gonna have a hard time with the Psalms because you're gonna, you're gonna read it literal. That's not what the psalmist is doing. He's creating art here. He is like a tree. So this is the result of somebody who, who finds God's way in his law 
amusing, enjoyable, delightful, in that they meditate on it, they think deeply, they chew it day and night. He's like a tree planted, which is not an accident. Like, like when you plant a tree, like they, in gardening there's a, a phrase, the right tree in the right place. Like where you plant the tree is crucial, okay? He's like a tree planted by streams of water. Now, if you want a good an, uh, image of this, anytime you're down here by the pearl, if you walk down these steps, everyone knows where the pearl is, and there's the amphitheater with like Gloria, and then there's that nice little bridge that takes Hotel Emma to the other side. Rachel, what'd you call the other side of the river the other day? The spicy side of the river, okay? So the spicy side of the pearl, the Tobin Hill side of the pearl, there's this bridge. And then if you start to walk this way, there's about five pecan trees. I have no idea how old they are. They're giant. They're planted right by the river. And they have seen so many storms. They've seen so much development. And they're still there. Why? Because they're planted. That's not it. <laughs> that is not, that's the opposite of what I'm talking about. They're planted. So sometime this week or even today, walk down this way. Go just across from the amphitheater on the spicy side of the river. You'll see these awesome pecan trees. It's my favorite tree. They're huge because they're planted by the river. They're planted in good soil. Now, this slide that you, were, that you had up here, we built a house last year, and I had a landscaping company come out and plant um, um, these Mexican sycamores that Mickey told me about because they grow fast and straight. They have these huge leaves, and most of them are doing really good. Most of the trees have grown four feet this year, except for this one, and I couldn't figure it out. And in July, when it was getting hot, the weeds were starting to wither, and I was just like, man, maybe I got a bad tree. And the, the rain had washed away some of the mulch around it, and I noticed there was a bunch of rocks. So my plan was, for 30 minutes, I was going to take a shovel and scoop off the top of the soil and then replace it with compost and then remulch it. Two days later, I'm digging nine inches of rock all the way out. I may have sworn during this. And you can see, look at all the, the rock, and the picture doesn't do it justice, um, those suckers just dug a hole in the rock, put the tree in, and you can see the roots are like, are um, going around the stuff, which is bad. It's going to kill the tree. So I took this picture, and this week I'm going to call these landscapers, now that I've cooled down a little bit, <laughs> who I paid and who they gave a warranty to, and before my warranty expires next month, because it was only a year, I'm going to gently ask them to come back out when the tree drops its leaves and replant this how it should be which is you dig twice the depth, twice the width. They did not do it here, and it's killing my tree. So this is kind of the opposite of what the Psalms is talking about. That is not a tree planted by the water, and it's going to fail, and I've wasted money, and I'm not bitter about it. So let's use that. I'm at least going to get a sermon illustration out of that joker. All right. Planted. We're almost done. Planted. He is like a tree planted. One of the best quotes that I read last year was, um, no one accidentally drifts into spiritual maturity. This is a lesson that the older people in our church have learned, and it's the reason why they're saints. And it's a lesson that many of our young people haven't learned yet. Is because our millennial generation is kind of known for going by the seat of our pants, and there's maybe some good things about that. But when it comes to your spiritual walk with the Lord, you will not accidentally become healthy or spiritually mature. You got too many forces going against you. We're in a war. You have an enemy. There's a war on your soul. There's a culture that's going against you. 
you will not accidentally drift into spiritual maturity. I think this is what the Psalms is talking about. Blessed is the person who meditates on God's ways day and night. It's not this haphazard, laissez-faire type deal. Like you're on it. It's a part of your routine. Just as natural as to brush your teeth in the morning, I hope, it should be natural to delight and meditate in the law of the Lord. And the result is you'll be like that pecan tree by the pearl on the spicy side, not like my poor sycamore that's dying in stupid rocks. I'm kidding. I'm just playing. We're going to get it fixed. All right. So um, season is another word that's really important. Your life is a season. We're all going to find suffering in our lives. It's way better to be prepared for and to have a theology of God and human suffering before the dark day comes. It's way easier. It's way easier, right? And, and it's something that a lot of people don't consider is you're going to, you're probably going to get sick, you know? I mean, statistically, I don't want to be a Debbie Dunham, statistically, if you look at the number of people that get diagnosed with cancer, and you go down the list of the things that will probably happen to many of us in this room over the course of our life, it's inevitable. It's way better to have some pillars and foundations in your life right now before that day comes. There's seasons. And it's, it's easier to be fruitful and to be stable when those seasons come, when you've done the prep work, when you've been planted, when you've been in the spiritual disciplines. I love Amazon Prime, but you cannot Amazon Prime Jesus. Spiritual formation is not a highway. I like that toll road that goes, that bypasses Austin going up to Dallas. You can go like 80 miles an hour. That is not spiritual formation. I hear about this thing called the Autobahn with like no speed limit. That is not spiritual formation. Spiritual formation, spiritual formation is a dirt path. It's slow, it's messy, it's bloody, it's bumpy, it takes time. It's not like a microwave, it's like a slow cooker. You can't Amazon Prime Jesus. I love, I love, I love uh, how our culture has gone from, oh, let's skip the store and let's go on Amazon and in five to seven days it'll come. And then that wasn't good enough. So then it was like two-day shipping and then two-day shipping became the norm and then it was next-day shipping and then it's same-day shipping and like pretty soon drones are going to drop off your books at your house. Like, like I like that. But we have to be careful that that same instant gratification does not translate into our walk with the Lord. You can't Amazon Prime Jesus. And so here's what we're um, asking people to join us doing. It's what I'm doing. It's what so many of our leaders are doing. Um, is we're going to study the book of Psalms for 11 weeks. There's 150 Psalms. On Sunday, we're going to look at 11. And um, Jake and I just finished this guide. Um, you might be sitting on it. They, um, it's the best one we've done yet, and it starts today. And each week um, has um, a reading. So today is Psalms 1. We just read it. Or for extra credit, you can read it again when you go to bed tonight. But every day, there are corresponding scriptures from the Old Testament and New Testament that you can um, read through, think about. There's uh, memory verses if you, if you wanted to uh, memorize the word, which is an incredible resource. Um, and just a challenge, like so many of you know the words to like Lady Gaga songs or like Kanye West or Rihanna. Like you can memorize the Psalms. You can do I believe in you. Um, there's some other songs you can look up on Spotify to listen to. There's some great quotes and, 
And um, for, our, for individuals or gospel communities, there's a whole page of reflection questions you can work through, uh, places where you can briefly write. There's some prayers. And we do that for 11 weeks. My favorite thing about the week, about the guide, just so you'll miss it, at the very end of the book, there's an article about why music matters. It's from the director of music at the Boston Conservatory. Um, if, it's the best part of this guide. And as a musician, I totally appreciate um, it. And so we, we put that in here. encourage you to, to read it. And so um, we have a digital version of this. You can get it on our website. Just go to our website. It's the first thing you see. Click on it. It'll download. If you want a digital version, you want to share it with people. Um, but we uh, spent many hours on Friday printing them for you. So I want to encourage you to take one. And uh, I like that it fits right in my Bible. There's 11 um, weeks. There's 56 song suggestions. There's there's a list of all 54 emotions expressed in the Psalms. Did you know the Psalms is the only book of the Bible that expresses the full range of human emotions? We have a list of it in there. Um, there's 43 questions. There's 39 recommended memory verses, 26 quotes, 14 prayers, and Jake says there's a partridge in a pear tree in here somewhere. So I want to encourage you to, to grab one of these, grab a buddy. Um, additionally, you should have one of these bookmarks. Um, it's in the guide. There's also a stack of them at the back. And um, I did this for myself um, because I've never read the Psalms from Psalm 1 to 150 straight. Thanks for not judging. But I, I'd like to. And so um, this is an 11-week plan that you can do as well. And it has the Psalms you would need to read for that week. And by December 1st, you will have read all 150. It's basically two Psalms a day. You can do that. So I want to encourage you to um, join me in reading uh, the Psalms um, this fall. And um, last, last word, I know this is like a big challenge. Some of you don't even read the Bible, or you read it like once a month, or even talking about this, you may feel a little bit of guilt. I want to encourage you. Um, G.K. Chesterton said, anything worth doing is worth doing badly. And what that means is when you begin an endeavor that is really important and helpful for you, it's supposed to be hard. Like a diet it's supposed to be hard, and if you're not on a diet and you start dieting, like all you are, are on keto, you know, like getting the flu, yeah, it's, it's hard. <laughs> it is. There's a thing. There's a keto flu. Trust me. I hear about it. I don't know. I'm not doing that. <laughs> Anything worth doing is worth doing badly. So if this is like a hard challenge, you're like, I don't know, just try it and try it badly until it starts to click. It'll be worth it. Trust me. Last word on that is give yourself the thing that God gives you in abundance, and that is mercy. If you miss a day, or if you have a bad day, or you have a bad week and you forget, give yourself mercy and just pick up where that day is. This is not a, a checklist to, to check off. This is not, you must get caught up. If it's Wednesday and you haven't read Monday or Tuesday, just read Wednesday. Like there's no, God's not going to love you anymore because you did this. But I know that as you do it, you will begin to experience more of his love. And it might feel like he loves you more, but I guarantee you, there's nothing you can do to make him love you more. Now here, here's um, the gospel message in this. Is first of all, this says, blessed is the man who does this, and nobody does this perfectly. But Jesus is the blessed man who did this perfectly. Jesus is the blessed man who delighted in the, the law of the Lord. And he is the tree that doesn't wither. Now that's, that's the gospel in, in 
in Psalms 1. A lot of people think the gospel is that God wants to get you into heaven after you die. Who's heard that? Okay, just, all right, we're honest, all right? Well, so out there, what a lot of people hear is that God wants to get you into heaven after you die, and it's true. But Dallas Willard is known for saying that that's half the gospel. The other half is that God wants to get you into heaven before you die. This is the Lord's prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so when we put this guide before you and we give you some challenge and we give you a reading plan, what we're trying to do is create some sort of a pathway in that dirt path to help you receive more of heaven right now before you die. It is not earning God's love. There's nothing you can do to earn his love. He said it's finished. However, there are efforts you can put forward that put you in the posture of receiving more of the love of God that you can't earn. And that's what this guide's about. I want to encourage you to grab a buddy, to take it seriously. And um, I know most of our church is doing this. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to invite you to come and celebrate at the table. We'll have some reflection questions on the screen if you want to dive a little bit deeper. I'm so excited for what God's going to do in and through all of our lives this fall. Father, thank you for giving us your way, your truth, your life, your example, and that it has been preserved through the scriptures. We know as generations have come and gone, there have always been and will always be assaults on the validity of your word and your way. And God, we just say thank you that as each and every generation comes and goes, your word has stayed and has um, never returned void, and that there is power, that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And as we open up this treasure of the Old Testament, this picture of the life and the prayers of Jesus, God, we just ask that you would shine light by the power of your spirit so that we can receive more of the love that you so lavishly and readily pour out on us. Lord, we confess our laziness, confess our distraction, we confess the tensions that rise up anytime um, we have an opportunity to systematically be in your word. And God, we just invite you to come and resolve all those things and to bring blessing, to bring life. Lord, we desire as a church to be a tree planted by the water. I thank you for my sycamores, but God, we don't want to be like that. We want to be like the giant pecan trees that have weathered the storms over the years, that have weathered the construction, that provide shade, that provide fruit for people. But it's only by the power of your spirit that we can become people as trees who are walking. Come be with us, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for just giving your presence to us today as we have sung and confessed and heard your word. Lord, we like being with you and we like it when you come and be with us. We, in return, lift our hearts to you. We give you thanks, Jesus, for loving us so much that you would stretch out your arms on the hardwood of the cross, taking the payment for our sins, for crying out that psalm when it should have been our psalm to cry. 
for casting our sins as far as the east is from the west, not because of our effort, not because of anything we could do to earn it, but because you are rich in love and rich in mercy.